0: Because this is what I always say about the situations in our life, and and fear falls into this category, and that is that, that with every single thing that happens, you can either let it burn you or let it set you on fire. And there's a difference between the two. When something burns you, you're turned away from it, you're turned off to it, you don't want anything to do with it anymore. When something sets you on fire, it motivates you to do more, to go the extra mile, to say yes when everybody else is saying no. And today, I want to talk to you about your calling, and and if you will open up your heart and open up your mind and listen to Jesus Christ today, I promise you, you have a calling. If you will listen to Him and to His voice alone, He will show you that. It may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, it may not happen next week or next month, But, but I want you to remember this message today because you have the choices whether or not you say yes or no to that calling in your life. And fear is going to be your driving force. You're going to succumb to that fear or you're going to let it rule and reign over you. Okay? Now, fear is a real thing. Okay? I want to tell you a little bit about fear for just a moment. If I might be able to share my fear story with you, I got to experience some real physical fear two days ago. Okay? So, me and my family went on a vacation to the Southern part of California. We went into Nevada. Went into uh, Arizona. We got to see the Grand Canyon. And I got yeah, what God had really kind of shown me through this this whole trip. Uh, I was really listening to God. Okay, God, I know I got to preach a message when I come back on Sunday. Show me what I'm supposed to say. You know, God. And and really, it was a message about fear. And and we were at the Grand Canyon. And some of you know that the Grand Canyon is really uh, grand, right? So. That's, it's just, it's really deep, it's a deep hole, you know, and, and, and I mean, and I, I, we get up there, and I'm not terribly afraid of heights when I'm buckled in or strapped into something, like I have jumped out of an airplane before, I've, I've skydived, that was amazing, one of the best experiences of my life was, was being able to jump out of an airplane, and I loved it, loved, loved just the, the adrenaline rush and all that, I, was, I mean, I was stoked about jumping out of an airplane, I was not stoked about looking over the edge of the Grand Canyon, I'll tell you right now, we got up there and like, I, I guess there's something wrong with me or there's something innate in, in, in my, my basic emotion or something, but we were up there and like, as soon as we got to the edge, like I grabbed Castie's hand. I don't mean like I just kind of held Castie's hand. I'm, I'm told my I grabbed Castie's hand. She said, daddy, there's no feeling. They're white, please. They look like piano keys. Please let go of my hand. You know, just ease up just a little bit. And like, I just, something inside of me could not stand the thought of her being on that ledge and her being out of my control and me like, what if she stumbles? If she, it's like four or five hundred feet straight down right there. And I was like, my heart was racing and I just, I, I had tears, y'all. I had tears in my eyes because I, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't, I couldn't rationalize in my mind that everything was going to be okay with her that close to the edge. I just couldn't. Like, like I knew for me that 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 I was not going to go over that ledge. I was not going to get close enough where there was any possibility that I was going to stumble. I, was, I, I would dig my teeth into the rocks if I had to, to keep from going over that ledge. That was not going to happen. But, it, you know, like the idea, what if Cassidy, what if she trips over that rock right there and then it's over with? Like 500 feet straight down. Like there's, and, and y'all, there, there's 12 people a year that visit the Grand Canyon that die that way. Like once a month, y'all, they're having people fall over the edge. and I'm like, why is there not a guardrail up here or something? You know, I, I'm, there's really not. There's no chain. There's, there's no guardrail. There's a couple of guys, and they're kind of like park rangers, stand up there, don't go too close to the ledge, that's far enough. No, man, I need you to do more than that. Get a lasso, wrap, wrap them up, and drag them away from the edge, something. You know, we, we can't have people on the... And, and they, had this, they had this, like, it was on an Indian reservation. We went to the Western Rim, and on the Western Rim is... The Indians have kind of kind of opened it up. They put a little skywalk out there and all this kind of stuff. And it's really cool. It's really a really pretty place to visit. But, like, they had this lady dressed up in Indian garb. And she was obviously a Native American. And, and she, like, I mean, she just got up there on the ledge, y'all. I mean, like, she stepped down onto this little teeny tiny rock that was no bigger than that tissue box right there. And she's standing there. And she's, like, just looking over. And there, people are snapping pictures of her and stuff. I'm like, y'all, she's an inch and a half away from just... Being that tall, you know what I mean? Like, it was, it, it was it, something inside of me was just like, oh. And, and, and I got to thinking about that. And I got to thinking about that fear that I felt right then. And I've been thinking about it ever since. Ever since Friday when we went, like, I've been thinking about that. And, and like, there's some people that have that same fear about God's calling on their life. And what's, I mean, this, this is the kind of things that race through your mind. This is the kind of things that, that you think about when you, we think about what has God called me to do. And you're like, there is no way I can do that. There is no way that my nerves or my stomach can handle doing this particular thing that God has called me to do. There's no way. Number one, I'm not equipped. There's no possible way that, that I'm equipped to be able to do what God's called me to do. That just seems completely irrational to me. Well, I will tell you my own personal story is that, that about... 10 or 12 years ago when God put the calling on my life to become a pastor, I was sitting up in the balcony. I wouldn't even sit down on, on the on the lower level. I was up in the balcony of the church because I wanted to be as far away from Jesus as I could possibly get because I thought that maybe if I sat up there, then, then it would be like a whisper and it wouldn't reach all the way up there. I'd be like, I think I heard Jesus. No, I didn't hear him. That wasn't him. So anyway, I was sitting in the balcony. So I'm standing up there on a, on a Sunday night and they're having like this pastor's or, or this church conference thing, and all these pastors come to line up at the front at the end of the, the service. And I'm standing up there and I'm just like, I'm zoned out, you know, I'm thinking about what we're gonna eat for dinner and all that kind of stuff that most people think about in church. And and I'm up there and, and like, and it is just like God was talking to me, just like I'm talking to you, right? And I, I'm standing up there and I'm I'm just like chilling, you know, and everything's good. And he's like, if you will. Allow me to do what I want to do in your life. You'll be one of those one day. And I'm like, gosh, did you say something? And then it was again. If you allow me to do what I'm going to do in your life, you'll you'll be like that one day. That that will be you one day. You'll be you'll be one of those men. Y'all, you know, that seems so crazy, foreign, out of this world that God would ever call me to be. Some sort of minister, some sort of associate pastor, and least of all a pastor. It was crazy to even think that that, that's even a remote possibility for me that God would call me to do that. And then I kept listening. I kept listening to that voice, y'all. And he kept talking. And that voice that I thought was a whisper, it got louder and louder in my ears. And, and I just like I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. It just got more and more and more, and, and just like it wouldn't be quiet. And the more I heard, the more I wanted to hear. Because it scared me to death. It scared me to death, but the the, the it, it made, I wanted to say yes to it. It was so ridiculous to even think that it was a remote possibility, but I wanted to say yes. So what did I do? I just tuned in a little bit more, and and I listened to it. How in the world? How in the world? You know what he said? Really? Like, having a conversation with God about this, like, what? And he just said, just say yes. I'm going to give you small steps along the way, and you just got to say yes to those. And tomorrow, I'm going to give you another step, and you got to say yes to that one. And the next day, I'm going to give you another step, and you say yes to that one. And that's that's the way it works. You make that commitment and you say yes, and God gives you a step and you say yes again. And it really is just that simple. That's how it happens. You know why? Because God's the one that does the work and not us. He's the one that orchestrates the path, He's the one that lays out the path. And all you have to do is say yes to the path. And when you say yes to the path, you commit to walking the path. And you just say yes over and over and over again. And God continues to reveal the path. It's not you. It's not you. It's really not you. You have the choice to say yes, but it's his path. I want you to understand that today. So when you're doubting if you're qualified, for sure, I mean, like, I was like, you know, to be one of those guys, I think you have to have a seminary degree, you know, by the way, I think this is hilarious. I, I read this somewhere that um, in, in order for you uh, to apply to be a pastor or associate pastor at most churches, there's a few things you have to have. You have to have a seminary degree. Uh, You have to have at least five years' experience, and you have to be married, right? That's usually what the requirements are. If you read the back of any Christian magazine for they're looking for a pastor or looking for an associate pastor, that's their requirements. You know that Jesus didn't fit either one of any of those requirements. He wouldn't have been qualified to lead most of the churches (laughs) that are in those magazines. So he didn't have a seminary degree. He didn't have five years' experience. He wasn't married, so Jesus wouldn't have been qualified. I always think that's funny when I read those. But anyway, so... But I was sitting there, I was like, man, I'm not qualified, I'm not qualified. Who gives us the qualifications? Right. <laughs> There's no man that gives us the qualifications. When I, when I accepted the call into ministry and, and all that, and I was been running through this stuff in my mind about, am I qualified, am I qualified? Then even when Simple Church started, there was this guy at work. So I, I work in Birmingham, and I, I told, I was like talking to them about the fact that God called me to start a church, and he goes, he goes, don't you have to get that approved to start a church? <laughs> He said, like, don't you have to go talk to somebody or something? I said, well, A, I did talk to somebody. (laughs) And B, he said yes. As a matter of fact, it was his idea from the beginning, so I just said yes to him. And he was like, no, isn't there like a bishop or somebody you got to go talk? You can't just go start a church. I was like, you know, I've been reading. There's this book that I got, man. Let me give you one of them. It's it's a really cool book, and, and, and in there, they didn't have anybody. They had one guy. And he kind of gave them the pattern, and then they just did what he did, and then they called it a church. And he's like, "Yeah, I don't know if you can do that." I said, "I'm pretty sure you can." And here we are <laughs> looking around at each other, going, "I guess you can." <laughs> but there's another thing, y'all, that that, and that this this scariness, this fear that comes about, you know, when you are listening to God's calling on your life, and and you go, "What's that going to mean? You know, what, how's it going to change my life? How's it?" When I say yes, when I, when I say, okay, God, I'm in, you know, what's going to happen? And, and I wish I had some magic words for you. Like, it's all going to work out good in the end. It's all going to be this hunky-dory thing that's going to like, man, you're going to say yes to those steps, and the steps are going to be easy. And it so isn't like that. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you the opposite is true. The more you say yes, the more you don't want to say yes. You know what I mean? Because It's hard. The more you're tempted to say no every single day instead of saying yes, because there is something, some obstacle that comes up in your way, and you just say, well, it would be a lot easier if I were to say no, and God says, exactly. This way, if you say yes, you're going to have to rely on me when you say yes, and you're not going to be able to overcome it yourself, and that's the reason it's hard. That's the reason it's hard. So if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? Because it would be just laid out there. Man, this is so easy. I said yes to God. The path is smooth. So there's no bumps in the road. There's no hiccups. And you're like, what is, what's it going to mean if I say yes? It's not going to be easy. I'm not going to sit up here and sugarcoat it and tell you it's going to be easy. Now, some people will say yes today. They'll say no tomorrow. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what. To, I, I don't. All I know is that's the way that it is. I got people that. That they come in here, and they man, they are on fire for Jesus. They're ready to go, and they're like, and then I go, well, where were you? <laughs> you know, because it's been three months, and I ain't seen you. Yeah, but I, I, they come in. They're like, man, I want to teach. I want you to put me behind the pulpit. I'm going to share my testimony, blah, 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 and I'm like, just come for six months. That's all I'm asking, just a six-month commitment. And then we'll talk about this this next step that you're supposed to take. And if you're supposed to get up here and share your testimony, you're supposed to share this, share that. And I'm like, just make that. And in three months, you won't see them anymore. You won't see them. Some people say yes, and then they say no. That's just reality. I don't know what to tell you. Let me tell you something. There is such a beautiful picture of God's strength And His strength in you when you continue to say yes and you continue to walk the path. Yes, you're going to stumble, and yes, there are going to be rocks that you trip over, but you just get up the next day and you say yes again. And it's such a beautiful picture of God's strength and what God is able to do. See, God uses those that have been through the most, He uses those the most. So if you've got a a shady, rocky past, if it's been nasty, it's been ugly in the past, there's a very good chance that you're exactly prime and ready to go right now for God to use you in a mighty way. Some people want to use that as an excuse not to go, and God is saying, that is exactly why I want you to go. People need to hear about what you've been through so that they can say, yes, that is a testimony. That's where I was. See how God used you. God can use me in the same way. And people... They just ignore that, man. They just, but I'm so consumed with fear that I don't I don't want to say yes. Well, let's look in Esther. The book of Esther is kind of interesting because up until this point we hadn't seen Esther do anything good. And she's uh she's got a book of the Bible named after her. We've been through three chapters and she hadn't done anything good yet. I mean, we we read about a dude named Mordecai, which is her uncle, and and he seems to be a pretty good guy. He like he's one of the palace guards and he's in charge of the gates and and he seems to be a pretty good dude, seems to be following God. Right now, up to this point, um, Esther, she is Mordecai's niece. She lives in Mordecai. Her parents have died, so she's an orphan. She's living in Mordecai. Meanwhile, the place that they live in, which is Persia, the Jews have been exiled to Persia. They're there. Some of the Jews have gone back to, to rebuild the temple. Some of them are still there in Persia. The Rebuilding of the temple is not going so well for them. There are some hiccups there, but they're trying to pursue that, and they're trying to keep doing that. Some of the Jews are still left in Persia, and they're there, and King Xerxes is in charge in Persia, and he gets mad at his wife because she won't listen to him, so he kicks her out. You're no longer queen. He has this big beauty contest. It's the bachelor on steroids, and they say that we're going to have all the the virgins from everywhere, all the provinces come, and and they're going to see who is going to be the new queen of Persia. Well, we got Esther. Esther. She's a Jewish exile, but nobody really knows that. Mordecai tells her, his, her uncle tells her, you've got to keep this on the down low. You've got to keep this quiet, y'all. We can't be talking about the fact that you're a Jew. Just be quiet about it for now. And Esther just says, okay. So she, she goes, and she's part of this beauty contest. She, she gets the last rose. She becomes the queen of Persia. She's got a special little house where, where the queen lives and all this kind of stuff. So she's living there. She's doing her own thing. Mordecai seems to be a pretty good dude. He, he actually stands up and tells uh, Esther about this plot to kill King Xerxes at one point in time and, uh, you know, saves his neck. He has the two guys that have planned to kill him, has them stuck on a pole. And then we see this other guy, Haman, come on the picture, come into the scene. He, he's, on the, he's on the scene now and he's... he's uh, He's in charge. Uh, King Xerxes kind of raised him up, and now he's in charge a little bit. And Mordecai has an interaction with him on a daily basis. But Haman says that everybody's got to bow down to him. And Mordecai says, No, I'm not doing that. There's only one that I bow down to, and that's the one true God. So he doesn't really like the idea of bowing down to Haman. Well, Haman gets ticked off about this. He's not real happy. So he, what he says is in, in, instead of just taking it out on Mordecai, what we're going to do is have all the Jews killed. Since Mordecai's a Jew, we're going to have all the Jews killed. Now, I was reminded of this, and I was told this by one of uh, one of the members of our congregation, and that is that, that, you know, she was talking about a Bible study she had been through, and, and how somebody told her, you know, that's been Satan's plan from the beginning, right? It's to have all the Jews destroyed, to have them wiped off the face of the earth. You know why? Because Jesus was going to come from that lineage. He was going to be Uh, from the Jews. They're the chosen people of God. God chose them that the Messiah would come through them. So Satan's been in the business, been trying to wipe out the Jews forever. Now I'm like, well, that kind of seemed obvious to me, but yeah, we needed to say that. That that Satan has been about trying to destroy the Jews forever. And here's another indication of it. Satan using this dude named Haman to try to wipe out the Jews, to make them extinct. So that Jesus could never be born, right? Even when Jesus showed up on the scene, Satan tried to tempt Jesus to, to, for him to deny God. So Satan's been at this whole game forever, and, and we just see that all the way back into the Old Testament. So here we see that there's a plan to kill all of the Jews. There's a certain day coming, and, and all the Jews are to be wiped out. That, that the people of Persia are supposed to go to any Jewish person that they know and kill them, and then take all their stuff, and that's the plan. specific day for that. And the king issues a decree that says that back in the old days, they would call it an edict. Uh, And he says, this is what's supposed to happen. He gave Mordecai the ability, excuse me, not Mordecai, gave Haman the ability to go and, you know, all right, make this thing happen. You want them all wiped out? Fine. Go let it be done. And and, and Haman even gives the king and the the, the king's uh, treasury a bunch of money. In today's terms, it'd been 10 million, 15 million dollars. Puts it in the treasury. He says, I know you're going to suffer some loss as a result of killing the Jews. Here's 10, 15 million dollars to make it all right. So this is kind of where we find ourselves in the story right now. Is that so far Esther's done nothing really super godly besides she's just become queen, She's queen of Persia. She listens to Mordecai. She lives in the king's. Uh, palace and and she's just doing her thing right well Mordecai is trying to keep in touch with her he really can't interact with her much but he can kind of send word to her well she he gets he gets word of the fact that this is this edict has gone out where these the Jews are supposed to be destroyed and he gets upset like really really upset it says that he puts himself in sackcloth and goes into a state of mourning where he is just I mean just devastated and it says all the Jewish population, it goes into this state of mourning. And this would have been like, most likely, according to the book of Revelation, to be in sackcloth, Would be it would be like all black, and it would be made of goat's hair. And it would just be something that you would wear as an indication of how sad and how destitute you are. So he, he runs off, and he's like just devastated by this. Well, well word gets back. To Esther, then Mordecai's upset. She's like, what are you so upset about? What's going on? What? Hey man, tell me. What, what's, what's the deal? Sends word uh, through her. Um, she, she has uh, a, uh, a guy that's supposed to be taking care of him. He's he, uh, taking care of her. He's a eunuch and, and he's like her head person for, to take care of her. And, 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 and she said, go find out what's wrong with Mordecai and report back to me. I, I hear that he's in a state of mourning. And, and this is what happens in Esther chapter four. This is where we pick up the story. In Esther chapter 4 beginning in verse 7 it says this, Mordecai told him the whole story including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak, that's the the eunuch that's in charge of taking care of the queen. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all the Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king and beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathach returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Now, I want you to understand something here. Mordecai is asking her to do something crazy. Something absolutely ludicrous. Is number one. Remember, she has kept secret from the king the fact that she is a Jew. And now he was asking her to go to the king and ask him for something. Now, you don't really do that. In Persia, in this day and time, you don't really make a request to the king. The king's the one that rules and reigns. He says and do, does as he pleases. You don't have somebody coming to ask you for something, especially when you've issued an edict, you've issued a decree that this is law, this is supposed to happen. To go and, and like, Jewish people would have understood how big of a deal this was. You want the king of Persia to go back and tell all the people of all the provinces that this has gone out to. You want to go and, and say, no, I was wrong, my bad, take it all back. Even though it was sealed with my signet ring, even though it was, it was declared that this is the king's message, this is the king's law, I was, I was wrong, y'all, and the queen revealed that to me. Do you think that would go down so well in Persia in this day and time? This is a guy that would have you impaled upon a pole just for talking about him, and here Mordecai is asking her to do something that is absolutely crazy. Now, this spoke to me a lot (laughs) because I promise you when God called me to ministry, it seemed absolutely not so. I mean, crazy that God could use somebody like me. My very first Sunday school lesson, y'all, I can remember it distinctly. God said, all right, I'm giving you an opportunity to teach Sunday school. Shortly thereafter, I got an opportunity to teach Sunday school. I don't remember anything about my first Sunday school lesson except that I talked about Richard Simmons and his short shorts and spinner hubcaps. That's all I know that I talked about in my first Sunday school lesson. And I am not even joking. I don't know what anybody got out of that. All I know is I was saying yes to Jesus. And I hope and I pray that he cleaned that message up between my mouth and their ears. So they got some kind of Jesus out of that, but I don't even know what I said. But God, I, God said, "All right, go do this." I, okay, it seems crazy. You did it, God. You, this your call, man. So I'm just here. I'm gonna do the best I can. I'll be faithful with what you've given me with given me here. But I, I I don't know that I've got a whole lot to offer these people. And God said, "No, that's not the issue. You just say yes." And and here Mordecai is challenging her to do something crazy. And Esther told. Hathank, hey, to go back and relay this message to Mordecai, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called to me, to, for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathank hey, gave Esther's message to Mordecai. So here she, she's like, you understand, this give me my life. I could very well die, and, and standing on the edge of the, the Grand Canyon, looking down, that's the way I felt, you know, like, this could be my life, this could be the end of me, you know, one misstep here, and it's all over with. Kenny's going to be flat Kenny from here on out, you know what I mean, like, and that's the kind of fear people have when God puts a calling on their life, because really, I mean, it means everything's going to change when you say yes to God. When you respond and say, yes, God, whatever you have in store, I'm I'm on board with that. I want you to know it's going to change. I want you to know that everything is going to change. And you're going to have to be dead to your old self. And you're going to have to have this new pursuit of God that gives you a brand new life. And you're going to have to find your identity in Christ. And that's scary. To die is scary. And Jesus challenges us over and over and over again. Follow me. Take up your cross. Die. Die is what he says. And that's the challenge of Jesus Christ. And that's why so many people say, no, I'm not willing to die. No, uh -uh, I'm not down with that, Kenny. I got this real fear of death, and I'm not really down with that. This good friend of mine, Todd Borders, he said, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of getting dead. Like, what do you mean, Todd? He said, well, you know, I'm not afraid afraid of the Passing from this life to the next life, it's the fear of getting eaten by an alligator that I'm a fear, I got a legitimate fear of, you know. And I always thought that was so true. I'm not afraid of dying, I'm just afraid of getting dead. You know, it's, it's that the difficult part right there in the middle, you know. There, there's so many times when, when, when God challenges us with these things in our life, I'm telling y'all that it's the difference between life and death. It really is. And whether you know that when you say yes or not, it begins to be revealed to you. The more and more you say yes, the more and more you see that you really have to die to your old self in order for this new life to be found in Him. You have to continue to do that. It's a continual thing of taking up your cross daily, saying no to yourself, no to your old life, no to your own desires, and saying yes to Jesus, yes to Jesus as you walk this path. And that's why so many people say no. They take another step and they get to a difficult spot and they say, no, I'm going back to my old way. It was easier. I didn't have to die that way. You're calling me to die this way. I don't like death. I'm afraid of death. I don't want to go that way. And Esther's in this place. She's in this place where she says, if I go to the king, it could mean my life. It means I could die. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. I want you to listen to this. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther, don't think for a moment that because you are in the, place, in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet, at a time like this, deliverance and relief of the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queens for such a time as this. He says, you're going to die anyway. You say you're afraid of dying, and that's the reason you won't say yes to Jesus. You won't say yes to God's calling on your life. You're going to die anyway. Whether it's now or whether it's later, you're going to die either way. And he says, I want you to understand something here. He says, if, if you choose to say no, God will find somebody else. God will use somebody else. But he has given you the unique opportunity right here in the place that you're in things have been orchestrated in such a way that it's all culminated to this point to whether you'll say yes to God or you'll say no to God you've been exalted to this high place of queen who do you think was at work for all this who do you think was the one orchestrating all this who do you think's been doing stuff behind the scenes who do you think and now do you think that God's going to let you down now do you think that God's just going to leave you hanging out on the ledge and not rescue you God's given you the unique opportunity right here, right now to make a decision whether you'll say yes or whether you'll say no. So many of us are in that place. There's a unique place where you work or where you you go to school or the friends that you have or the ministry you've been called to that you've been saying no to up until this point. There's a unique place that God has brought you to at this point, at this time, so that you can hear this message from Esther today. God brought you to this place for a reason today. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're scared to death. My message to you is this. Is that you're going to die anyway. But you're going to stand in front of him. You're going to stand in front of him one day. Let me, let me, let me, let me tell you all. Listen to me very carefully. You are going to stand in front of Jesus one day. And you're going to be this close to him. And he's going to be asking you, did you say yes to me or did you say no to me? And you won't be able to hide behind, well, I was afraid of this. I was scared of that. He was going to look at you. And this is what he's going to say. He's going to say, where did that fear come from? Did it come from me? Did it come from me? Why did you listen to the fear and not to me? I'm telling you, that's going to happen. Y'all realize that, right? So why not die now? Why not die to self now and just say yes to Jesus and listen to his voice and to his voice alone and just say yes, Jesus, yes. No matter what happens, even if it means my own death, yes is the answer I want to give you today because I know that one day I'll, I'll have to give an account. I'll have to give an account for what, what you have given me, what you have blessed me with. I'll have to give an account for that. And what did I do with that gospel that you have given me? And Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything Esther had ordered him. Esther said one thing in her reply to Mordecai. She said, yes. She said, yes. I said, you're right. I've been brought to this place in this time for a particular reason. I've been exalted to the place of queen for a reason. And now it's time for me to step up and take the place that God has called me to take. And I think she put all of her fear in a rearview mirror at that point in time, don't you? I'm not saying she, wasn't, she didn't have her heart racing when it was time to go in to see the king. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is something became more important to her than her fear. And that was to saying yes to her calling in her life. So what about you today? Are you so consumed with fear that you just don't want to say yes? That you're afraid that it's going to cost you everything? That you're not equipped? That that there's no way possible that God could do this great thing in your life? Is is it, it, it it's, it's so overwhelming to you that you're saying, you know what, it can mean everything, and I, I'm so afraid of that. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of dying, Kenny. I don't want to die because death is scary. You're gonna die anyway. Why don't you die now, I'm saying yes to Jesus? You know what, God, if it costs me my life, it costs me my life. It means if I'll be hung on a cross, I'll be hung on a cross. You see, I want you to understand that when the disciples said yes to Jesus, that's what they were saying yes to. In this world that we live in here in America, people say, yeah, it's so easy to say yes to Jesus. All I have to do is step up there and get baptized. No, let me tell you it's not. You have to die to everything and nothing else matters except the calling God has placed on your life. And we get so overwhelmed with fear when it comes to sharing the gospel with somebody sitting next to us at the lunch table. That's nothing. That's nothing. When you say yes to Jesus, it costs you everything. And when I tell people the gospel, that's exactly what I tell them. Don't think it's going to be some easy, smooth smooth place to be in where you just get to wear the t-shirt and say, I'm a Christian now. That one day I'm going to live in heaven in, in the presence of God no that's not what it means you say I'm dying to myself and I'm done with fear and all I'm going to do from this point forward is say yes to Jesus going to follow Jesus you know when, when, when we baptize somebody what do we say up here are you committed to denying yourself and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit who now lives within you isn't that what we say do you really live that way do you really live in such a way that the fear has a, a place in the background? It's not in the foreground. That you just all you do is you follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now you don't worry about anything else. Is that the way you live your life? If it costs you your life today, if somebody was standing right here, they say, "Are you a Christian? are You a Christ follower? Are you willing to die for it?" Would you say yes or would you say no? I'm too afraid of death. You know, we read. If you deny me before men I'll deny you before the father that's exactly what we're talking about the presence of being in a Roman soldier and you've seen him come down one after another cutting off people's heads because they're professing to be a Christian and he comes to you he says are you a Christian are you a Christ follower do you love Jesus and you stand boldly and say yes in spite of the fact that he may cut your head off as well that's what it means that's what it means to profess Christ When you're in that lunchroom and you see somebody hurting and they've been talking about the fact that they've contemplated suicide or they've written that suicide note you say I'm so nervous to talk to them and tell them about Jesus do you succumb to the fear or do you listen to that voice that says you need to tell them that Jesus is the answer you need to tell them that Jesus is the answer What about the calling on your life, the particular place and time that you're in right now? Are you looking around saying, all right, God, what have you called me to? What what ministry? Every single one of us is called to a ministry, by the way. What ministry have you called me to, Lord? Show me the way. And I'm going to say yes today, and I'm going to say yes forever, even if it means my entire life. The question is simple today. Will you say yes? The question is hard today. Will you say yes, even if it means losing your life? Let me pray. Father, you've spoken to people today. It burdens my heart, Lord, that uh, some of them will say no. God, but I pray that you continue to work on them. pray that you continue to show them the truth. God, what you want to do in their lives. And I just pray that they wouldn't say no every day. God, we need more people that are willing to follow you, willing to give up everything to follow you. I pray that we'd be people like that. Lord, And there's some people right now that they know, God, you're speaking directly to them. I know they're scared that what's going to happen, they say yes. Lord, give them that courage. God, show them. Show them. It's not their strength, but it's your strength. Lord Jesus, speak. I believe there's probably somebody in here that doesn't know you. They've never given their lives to you. Never truly counted the cost of what it means to be a disciple. And today, God, in spite of the fear, they just want to say yes to you and surrender their whole lives to you. Even if it means their life. I pray that they would do that. I pray that they would do that. God, you're so good to us, and you continue to speak to us in our ear, even when we're closed off to you. God, I pray that we wouldn't be closed off to you right now, that we would just simply respond to you in obedience. Be glorified as we do, in Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone stand.